Dotnet Rocks, episode 1014, with guest Jeff Fritz. Recorded Tuesday, July 15th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome to .NET Rocks. Welcome back. If you've been here before, you probably have. If you haven't, hey, this is our silly show. It's all about .NET. Richard Campbell's here. Jeff Fritz is with us. He's coming up in just a minute. How are you, sir? Richard Campbell. I am well. Sir Camelot. Yes. yes. Things are good. Uh, we're, uh, we're doing the thing with the stuff, and I'm pretty happy about doing it. I have a question for you. Oh. Have you had a really interesting scotch lately? Because we haven't seen each other since Norway. I, funny you should ask, mention that, because I opened last night a bottle of Tom and Tool 1976. Wow. Bottled in 2007. It is a 30-year-old. It has no caramel, no coloring. Uh, it was chill-filtered. It is... Not that dark. It's quite a pale amber color. It has a sharp nose on it. It's still got a very potent alcohol smell, but no upfront mouth at all. Just drops in, then sort of glides into this <laughs> long, slow, arom- uh, this caramel bomb that says, dude, I've been in a barrel a long time. <laughs> uh, I want to quote that. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, um, I, and I, let me tell you how good that scotch was. I had one. And then I went and drank something else. Yeah. Because after that, I was not qualified to drink any more of it. it oh, was, my. It was just like, nope, put that aside. That's a firsty. You do that on the first. You don't do it later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like that. Yeah. I had a yummy. Did you pull a yummy out lately? Yeah, I did. I just can't remember what it was. No, don't ask me that question. Okay. Zev, very awesome. So are you going to have to save that for the next time we, uh, we get together? I'd like to try that myself. That is inevitable. Yes. yes, indeed. All right, let's roll that crazy music. Awesome. What do you got, buddy? Well, I got something interesting. You, we know about this, but we haven't really talked about it on the show yet. Mm-hmm. And that is the .NET Foundation. Ah, Yes. And it's relevant to our discussion today with Mr. Fritz because oh, sure. the, uh, the .NET Foundation is basically uh, a forum for open-sourced projects that Microsoft has either open-sourced or their partners have open-sourced, but it's all .NET-centric. And you'd be surprised at the projects that are open-sourced that are up there. All the ASP.NET stuff, including ASP.NET vNext, SignalR, Entity Framework, all the Hadoop stuff, Roslyn is up there, Owen is up there, uh, even System Drawing is up there. And there's a Salesforce toolkit for .NET that's up there. And Xamarin's got their off, Xamarin.off and Xamarin.mobile up there. Lots and lots of good stuff. And I'm sure Jeff will be talking about that a little bit. Yeah, and, and ultimately the most important thing about the .NET Foundation is the the licensing that they've done. I mean, what they've basically done is created an umbrella organization to protect this code base so that any company using this stuff in their system knows that there's a significant organization behind it that will uh, go to bat should anybody have any legal claim against any of that source. That's what it's all about. Right. So you can just Google .NET Foundation or it's dotnetfoundation.org. And that's it. And uh, it was announced at Build. This year, and there's mm-hmm. a little video, two minute video of the goo announcing it, and everybody going absolutely bonkers. Yep. Yeah. 
Awesome stuff. There you go. So I'm sure this is going to be a big part of our life going forward. That's what I got today, Richard. Who's talking to us? I grabbed a comic off of show 855, and we did that one a while ago. That was with a guy named Jeff Fritz. Never he heard of him. He was talking about oneasp.net. Yeah. And this is a lengthy comment, but I think it's a worthy one, too. Worthy enough that, uh, that Jeff himself actually responded to it way back when. This is from NCage1974. That's his handle. Mm-hmm. I'm going to call him Nick, just because... Nicholas Cage. I was going to go there. You know, if you want to dig into the details, you feel free, Mr. Franklin. I'm uh, just going to call him Nick. Maybe he's a huge fan. Who knows? So Nick says, excellent show, guys. While I respect Jeffrey's opinion, I have to respectfully disagree with his view of new development with ASP.net. I originally thought that Microsoft's decision to try and move WinForm developers to the web was a bad idea and still do today. Jeffrey's thoughts about how you should handle view state and everything are correct, but usually that's not how things end up working out. If you have a team of professional developers and you architect a web form solution, it'll go well, but that's not usually what happens. You end up having nine to five developers who don't understand the basic concepts of the web working on your project. They just plop controls on the form and hook them up to data. Do they think they concern themselves with view state? Nope. nope. Some of them don't even understand basic concepts like request response. For example, where I work, we make sure that Fiddler is installed on everyone's machines, but I think I'm the only one who really knows what it is. Now, I'm going to stop right there, Nick, and talk mm. a little bit about this, because mm. I was there during this time. And yeah, Microsoft realized that they had to get their core development group to start working on the web. This is before even the dot-com boom was really getting going. It was early days, and it was important to move quickly. But honestly, Microsoft themselves didn't understand the web all that well either. So they built the best tools they could at the time. And I think the most important thing here is that they those WinForm developers didn't get left behind. They right. may have made some ugly web pages, but at least they made web pages. Mm. And since then, they've tried to clean them up or abandon them and replaced. But, you know, these these were the best decisions made at the time with the knowledge available at hand. It is very easy in hindsight to look back and go, oh, you totally screwed that up. Mm-hmm. But that's hindsight. At the time, this is what we had to work with. Yeah. But Nick goes on to say, the businesses end up being very happy at first. Of course they do. You got them a website really fast using skills you already had. Right. That is until your site gets slash dotted and it falls over. Yeah. Scaling websites is hard. It almost doesn't matter what technology you use. When the business asks what happened, the programmers look at them and go, I don't know. They get that deer in the headlight look and point the finger at the network guys because it must be the servers. You know, the usual battle that comes from people not really understanding plumbing. Mm -hmm. But I would also say this. In the time that this technology was original and new, we were hitting new heights on websites that nobody understood. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter what technology you used. Heck, you can fast forward into the middle 2000s when Twitter tipped over and everybody blamed Ruby for that. And at the same time, it's like, you know what? Those were unprecedented numbers and a lot of folks did not know what to do. So what is the solution? Hire better developers? Well, that's not the reality we actually live in. No matter how much code review you do and how much stuff there's going to be that sneaks by, MVC tries to push them down a better path, both architecturally and conceptually. But how many MVC developers do you think don't understand request response? I would argue a lot fewer because you're a hell of a lot closer to the metal in MVC than you are in web forms. Can you shoot yourself in the foot with MVC and create ugly, heavy pages? Of course you can. <laughs> and I'm with you here that MVC at least starts to build tools that let you tend to fall towards the pit of success. They took away controls. 
So you couldn't hide all that view state. You couldn't do all that ugliness as easily. You could still do it if you tried hard. Right. But it, it was still there. But Nick wraps up to say, in my view, if you're going to develop anything public facing in the web, that's going to have a significant load, then you got to go with MVC. If you're developing a little intranet app that's going to be used by 10 people, yeah, go ahead and use, do it in web forms. Uh, the biggest concern I have with that statement is you don't know. Right. You mm. don't necessarily know at the beginning what's going to happen with your website. It's hard to know in advance. And the advantage that the web forms approach had more than anything was quick out the door. It built websites fast. It didn't build fast websites. But if you, you know, to have a performance problem or to have an overload problem is to have a good problem. Because if nobody was using your site, it would run great. The fact that so many people are using it that it's tipping over, like first pat yourself on the back. You've got something that people care about. Now go fix it. But that's part of the process. Yeah. So Nick, thank you so much for your comment. Uh, .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or with any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS and Android. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer IT and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release dozens of new courses every month and offer a 10-day free trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight offers a wide range of developer training courses, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. So try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to Jeff Fritz. Jeff is a developer in the Philadelphia area who is obsessed with the web. After wasting time playing too much Candy Crush in Farmville, he got his stuff together and was recognized by Microsoft as an MVP in ASP.NET and was named an ASP Insider. He currently works as a developer advocate for Telerik and is a Pluralsight author who recently released another highly rated course titled Mobilize Your ASP.NET Web Forms. In his free time, Jeff is a voiceover actor providing audio for phone systems, radio ads, and web video. You can find Jeff blogging at csharpfritz.com, and that's C and sharp spelled out, not a pound sign, but you know that because you're smart, and on Twitter at csharpfritz. Welcome back, Jeff. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. All right. Voiceover acting. Give us, oh, yeah. Give us your favorite character. Just give us a little bit. Oh, uh, I recently submitted an audition for a, a evil character on a children's television program. Uh, I didn't get picked up, but I, I totally played the, the evil German, uh, evil scientist, the mad scientist. Okay, and let's it went hear. a little something. It went a little something like this. And you know, Mr. Franklin, you're not going to get the greatest .NET bits and bytes from me this time. Oh, no. <laughs> That's really good, actually. I love it. <laughs> so we'll see how that plays out. That's it's very cool. something I'm tinkering with. It's in that. Why not? You know, if you've got the pipes for it, let's give it a shot. Believe it or not, I've got a guy who's making a local film um, about privateering in Baltimore. And uh, he's got a voiceover actor coming in to do a parrot. He's looking for a parrot voiceover actor for this Thursday. So I'm going to introduce you guys after the show. Is that okay? Oh, that's great. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate it. All right. You, when you say privateering, you're talking about when the United States government would give a letter of mark to a ship to go blow up other ships? That's right. Yeah, I knew Richard <laughs> would be in on this. He knows all about this. So uh, 
there weren't so much as pirates in Baltimore as there were privateers. And this is this is what we're talking about. The a US, privateer is a sanctioned pirate. A you're sanctioned, not a pirate if you're working for a government. That's right. A sanctioned pirate. You are a, a merchant, perhaps, and you have a boat, and they would hire you to go intercept British ships carrying uh, – British merchant ships, maybe, carrying booty, and you basically – Take over the boat in the name of the American government. You know, and whatever would happen would happen. Sometimes it wasn't pretty. You're playing right into something else that I really enjoy. I'm a huge fan of the Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. and uh, the ride, the movies, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, it, in all of my recent webinars and and different training pieces that I've put together, um, this – this picture of someone named Jeff the Pirate keeps appearing and I've gotten some people commenting, oh, in the webinar today, are we going to see Jeff the Pirate make an appearance? I think they might be very interested to hear this type of thing happen. Interesting. All right. Well, enough of that. Yeah. V-Next. ASP V-Next. Oh, yeah. This is this is exciting stuff. It's a great time to be a Microsoft web developer. Did it start in TechEd in Houston? Um, it, that's when it first made its public appearance, but it's been, it's been in the, in the pipes, in the works now for, uh, I'm told as long as a year, maybe longer, but, uh, there, I first got exposure to it back in November at MVP summit. I, I saw little bits and pieces of what's coming, but what, what happened there at TechEd was, um, really great stuff, really exciting for the community to be able to see. And and you hinted at it. It's open source, and and we're going to get brand new ASP.NET that I think everybody should be excited about. And why should we be excited? Tell me what the big the big points are here. Oh, so the the big things that I'm seeing coming out of this now to to harken back to web forms and and the mid 2000s when when ASP.NET was and web forms were in their heyday, and it feels stupid to say that here in 2014. The heyday of web forms. Yeah, yeah. But um, we no longer are going to be bound by the base class library by Visual Studio to see new versions of ASP.NET coming out. We're already seeing there's a GitHub repository out there that's open source that we can all go to at github.com slash ASP.NET. Mm -hmm. You can download ASP.NET, the current version, as they're working on it whenever you want and start working with it. That's huge. We yeah. don't need to wait for a new Visual Studio patch or a new uh, base class library patch to come out for yeah. us to get updates to fix something that doesn't quite work right. Or if, you, if you're the kind of person that you like uh, weird error messages that you can do nothing about, you know, you can go. Absolutely. <laughs> if you want to live on the bleeding edge, uh, Carl, go for it. You can live you on the bleeding edge. You guys can have at it, man. I wait for the Absolutely. I wait for the 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 release versions and I still get those weird messages. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you wait for a it's nightly build, my fault though. <laughs> if you wait for a nightly build, you're going to get something that's at least been tested and made it through some of that initial smoke testing that they do, right? Yeah. But because it's being developed like this, they're making it completely modular for us. So everything is going to be installed as NuGet packages from, from MVC. And we're starting to see that already with uh, the current version of MVC. And going forward, we're going to get MVC and Razor and Web API. So and does that mean when you, when you create a new project from a template that instead of just loading in the the stuff that's there on your hard drive, it's actually going to go out to NuGet and install things that way? 
get the latest and greatest? Great question. That's something that you can opt into. So by default, it's going to look locally and see if you have something available locally to use. And when you compile, if you will, it will use that version that you have locally, that that version that you put a hard reference to. So you can say, give me uh, ASP.NET vNext Alpha 500 and you'll get that version. Or you can opt in and say, you know what? Give me the latest version that's been published by Microsoft. Wow. And so in that, that way – You can do that when you create a new project in the template. Um, it, not, at, not at project creation time, but you can look in your project references and you can opt in to whatever version you want. I see. So you can, you can rewind even and go back to a previous version just by changing some references in, in the new project JSON file. Hmm. Or just so, by going to your package and console manager and installing and uninstalling. Well, that's that's where they want to get to. The tooling isn't there just yet. Mm. So uh, let me back up a second. Okay. Th they have released a an ISO with a preview of what they're calling Visual Studio 14, right? So it's not Visual Studio 2014, but it's the 14th version of Visual Studio set to come out soon. Okay. We don't know when. We we hope it's 2015. We hope if if it's 2014, we'll be even happier. But when what what's in this version for us as ASP.NET developers, the tooling is not entirely there yet. Um, you can't go in and and right click and be able to add references just yet. You can't go in and be able to right click and change between debug and release version. It's not quite there. They don't have that feature nailed down in these early early alphas that we're seeing here in July 2014. They're going to be there. Yeah, they're going to have some of these features. But right now, a lot of this in Visual Studio is, is code by hand, get in and, and maintain those references by hand in, like I said, we have a, we have a new project JSON file instead of the old CS proj files that we had laying around or VB proj files laying yeah. around. So uh, do you think that we're going to get better integration between all these different flavors of ASP.NET, uh, the modularity thing is going to work well. It doesn't sometimes. You know, if you have a – you like web forms. And if you have oh, a, yeah. a web forms project and you want to start your project with default ASPX, right, but then you have a JavaScript page, you know, an HTML page that calls into a web API library or something like that with jQuery, and you add some web API stuff, and now all of a sudden you've got mapping – and if you don't, mm. you know, you, if you accidentally hit the root of your website instead of default ASPX, you get a hello ASP.NET page, that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, oh, I yeah, know routing. that there's easy ways around that stuff, you know, with routing and all that. But but it's stuff that you have to remember to do. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. So in in the new world, they're actually going to merge MVC, Web API, and Web Pages. Right. We're going to end up with one unified. One unified framework between those three and web that pages, just feel, or yeah, web, web pages, right? The the razor based razor web pages markup, yeah. yeah. So what what you're going to see is instead of having an MVC controller and an API controller, we're going to just have controllers, and then depending on what it is you're returning and what you name your methods, will determine whether it's it's an API method. So if you name your method get and you return and, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the return object. If you name your method get, it'll look like and feel like an API call. Mm. 
But if you go and name it index, it'll behave and, and return a view result that behaves and feels like MVC. So you're going to have options. You're going to have a lot more flexibility. You're going to be able to stick some of these things together that actually should feel and play together a lot better. This is what you were talking about back in 855, right? The 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 whole one ASP.net that there you just have an ASP project and bring in whatever mechanisms you want to use. Absolutely. That that's a great point, Richard. That you're going to be opt-in to anything that you want to use in ASP.net. So you're going to start off with these rich features available to you, but you don't need to bring them in. And what that's going to lead to is we're not going to have to bring in other things that aren't needed. Got it. So the, the classical example that we look at in ASP.NET 4.5.4.5.1 is every time you start up an ASP.NET project, it loads a 200 meg blob into right. memory of all the base class library nonsense that you may or not be using. Mm. Why are we bringing WinForms into memory when I start up IIS? Yeah. Yeah. Not needed. So what we've what we're seeing the team do is they're bringing in just the pieces we need to make ASP.NET work. And that's that leads to a very interesting concept that they're pushing of a cloud-optimized runtime. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's very exciting. I mean, it's sort of the 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 realization of the idea of one ASP.NET. I mean, we yeah. had it before, but this is sort of like, okay, now we're we're for real now. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're absolutely putting it out there where all these things are going to play together nicely. They're only going to use the pieces that we need. And consequently, we're going to see that memory, that memory use with this new optimized runtime go all the way down to 10 to 20 meg. That's huge. Mm. So what do you mean by cloud optimized? So it, there's there's the million dollar question. What is cloud optimized? So talk about this, a term that's been destroyed. Yeah, yeah. I know, <laughs> right? Everybody has their own vision of what is the cloud. So what what this is is it's a very streamlined and um, and packaged runtime that actually we're going to include those pieces with the base class library that you need to run. So. If you're running with this cloud-optimized runtime, we're actually going to deliver and distribute with your ASP.NET project all the files that you need, the, the system DLL, so that we can get access to all the different um, base types, right? We're going to get, if you need drawings, so you can get access to the colors and things, fine. Then we'll package and deliver system.drawing. We don't need to ship WinForms, so we won't deliver that DLL with your project to that destination web service so they've decomposed the dotnet runtime into oh, yeah. these smaller dlls to just reduce the overall footprint to reduce the overall footprint to and then you're able to run multiple versions of it side by side right. without impacting each other this is something that carl hammered on goodness what five years ago mm. back in the silverlight days when you didn't know there were so many different versions of everything going yep. on at the same time. Like actually building the debt. If somebody gave you a set of source code, you're like, okay, what version of Silverlight? What version of ASP.NET? Like there was so many different DLLs. Yeah, it's kind of like JavaScript and jQuery today, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where we are. I mean, it was very complex. And and part of it was because they hadn't didn't, didn't have NuGet yet. And, you know, thank God they do. But um, these 
community technology previews were coming out and being announced on blogs. And since there was no sort of history of any of these things, you, sometimes there were no dates on these blog posts. So you really didn't, you know, when you, you can't just search for latest version of, you know. Oh, yeah. Because you'll get something, who knows when it, it was the latest version at one point. But Well, yeah. how about, do you guys remember getting clobbered back and forth between ASP.NET 4 and ASP.NET 4.5? Oh, yeah. Had the same yep. version number, but it's not really. Feature. But not really, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I can't justify the thinking on that one. Did, what What is it with Microsoft and version numbers these days? It's just making us crazy. I I don't work for them, so I don't yeah. have to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. So um, no. So the one of the key examples that that we've seen of people running into and and um, it, delivering on this on this vision of being able to have a truly portable website all the way down to the library, is that you're able to copy your website entirely, including those, those DLLs that come with the packaged uh, .NET runtime, move them onto a USB stick, take them to somebody else's machine, and you can run it self-hosted from that USB stick with no problems. It'll run and function exactly the same. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's going to make my QA team very happy because now they don't have to juggle how their web servers are running and having to have different versions for different applications that they're testing makes it a lot easier. When I think we get back, the idea that you package all of the code for your runtime together is just getting, you know, we got to get out of our head this idea that DLLs were meant to be shared. Right? That, that was only when we cared about disk space. We just don't care about disk space anymore. Right. And every project has all of the files it needs. And memory. That was when everything lived together in one process and we had to yeah. share DLLs. Yeah. That's why they existed. Yeah. The, the nightmare is when I would have 400 meg of IIS startup on a 32-bit machine and then 200 meg on top of that now for the .NET base class library to get running. I mean, at 600 meg of a possible 2 gig for my application to run in. I'm not running in two gig. I'm running in 1.3 gig mm. of of memory space. Now that number is significantly bigger, and we don't have these these library requirements putting pressure on our application. Gives us a lot more freedom. We still have all the the great features of recycling and and all of that that we had before, right? I mean, there's nothing really going away in VNext, is there? So there. Those features of recycling and having the robust uh, management and of IIS available to us, they're certainly going to be there. You can deploy and run on IIS if that's what you need and, and you want. You have that choice. But maybe you want to run your web server inside of a, a Windows service because uh, you're programming a toaster, right? You're programming right. something that needs just a small footprint and you want to be able to use ASP.NET inside of a service, right? So that's what Owen is for, right? You can just host a, a web page anywhere, even in a WPF app if you want. Heck, so, in a Windows Forms app. Right. Owen, Owen gives us those those four layers and, and let's go over Owen just to make sure that we don't have the acronym police right. come down on yes, us, right? I that's, totally agree. That's usually my job. <laughs> So Owen is the open web interface for .NET, right? This gives us four different points that we can come in and we can start to swap out the way that we want to build our websites, whether it's your application, 
the framework that you're built on, ASP.NET, MVC, or Web API or whatnot, the host process, IIS, typically, or if we want to self-host, and then finally, the operating system. Wouldn't it be great if we could swap out the operating system and run this on, on a Linux box, on a Mac? That's crazy talk. But you can <laughs> do it now, right? <laughs> How cool is that? It's you can cool. build and run on mono on a Mac. So if my, if my web designer is, is hooked into Photoshop and running on the Mac and they want to be able to run the website and see what it looks like on their Mac, they can do that. Have a whole development environment running, minus Visual Studio, on their Mac, on their Linux box, and be up and running. That's, that's a tremendous benefit. I, I don't know that it is. You know, I know what the intent okay. is here, but I'm just throwing my IT hat on right now. I've been migrating WordPress apps from an old web server to a new web server. And WordPress comes from the LAMP world, and it absolutely runs on IIS. Let me tell you how much fun it is to Google mm. slash Bing security configurations for a Windows box running WordPress. Yeah. Because I get a and I'm fairly fluent in Linux, so I get a lot of Linux security specifications. But mm -hmm. I can't find any Windows ones. Mm. Like I wonder if we're gonna do do that. Anybody, the first guy to get out there and really try and run .NET on a Linux box is gonna deal with the same issue. Specifically, the thing is that interface point with the operating system. Security is the one that's gonna bite you. Well, they've been doing it in Mono for a long time. Yeah. They have they've been monitored around for a while, but it's really how do you set this up? How do you configure correctly? I appreciate the sentiment. I'm just wondering how many folks are are going to do it. And when you start fighting with it, because you're gonna say, you know, if we just ran Windows, it go away. Hey, before we go any further, I got to tell you that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by dnsimple.com, simplifying the process of registering domains and providing headache-free DNS services, starting at just eight dollars a month. Online at dnsimple.com. And they won't try to trick you into buying stuff you don't need. Yeah. Yeah. Take that. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Jeff, you were talking about uh, running .NET on a Linux box. Right. Right. So I, I think the, the advantage that ASP.NET has here over PHP is it's being backed by two different companies that really want to see that succeed on a Linux box or on Mac, right? Between Microsoft and Xamarin. And they're actually working very closely on making this happen. They, they have pretty good incentive not to let that fail, to mm -hmm. have excellent documentation around it. And you know what? That's the type of feedback that, that you're giving there, Richard, about, you know what? We need to make sure that the security documentation around this is really good. That's the type of feedback that the ASP.NET team is really looking for right now so that they can provide something that we do want to use in those other environments. I mean, odds are you're, you're talking to a Linux guy to deploy this thing. And so he's, you've got to speak in his language of how to get this thing installed, configured correctly, properly locked down, what developer access looks like versus public access. Like there's a lot of detail in getting all of that right. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that I think we're just on the first steps of, and it's something that I know the groups are really thinking about because they want that to succeed. We're very early in the process. This is early, early alphas, and if somebody's actually building and deploying this stuff to production now, they're playing with fire. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that 
those are exactly the types of discussions that we as a technical community need to have to make sure that we get what we need so that operations can handle and deliver something that that's a superior product. Why do we want to do this? I mean, is it really about the Windows license? No, I don't think it's about the Windows license as much as it's about being able to get Microsoft development technologies into any shop anywhere. Right. Let's let's turn those those Linux developers into ASP.NET developers. Let's get C Sharp in their hands. Let's get Razor into these people's hands right. that where before you were limited to only Windows developers. Yeah. So, you know, once you go C sharp, you don't want to go back. <laughs> amen. <laughs> I don't care and, what you program in. I guarantee you'll have a better time in Visual Studio and C sharp. That's funny. Absolutely. That's and that's one of the goals is to make sure that Visual Studio is the is a first class experience with this. But if you want to develop in Sublime or Emacs or VI, have at it. Have fun with it. Give you that choice. So, Jeff, have we really gotten to a place where there's a feature set outlined for the next version of ASP.NET? I mean, we're all calling it vNext. What does it really look like? What's different? So, as to the end end user developer, right, to the guy walking the street who's programming 9 to 5 today in MVC Web API, yeah. they really want to deliver something that feels like what you're doing today. They yeah. want to merge those couple things, the MVC, the Web API, and... Uh, web pages frameworks so that you have one unified experience where it should have been really all along. However, MVC was wrapped up in the system web DLL. So we didn't really have the ability to migrate that, make it work as closely with web API as they're going to with this next version. So really, it should feel very similar, but you're going to get this enhanced experience where you're going to be able to have the Roslyn compiler help you significantly. You're going to be able to have this faster development cycle because of that Roslyn compiler. Well, you'll be able to save your C-sharp files, and the web, the web server will automatically refresh, recompile, and give you that new content from C-sharp or Visual Basic that you're coding in. And you know I'm thinking about the project, the guy who jumped on ASP.NET first and has been saddled with the pro first project he ever wrote following him from one version to the next over what 12 years now oh yeah is he still going to be just dragging it forward is he is he going to be able to take advantage of these new bits so you're going to be able to take advantage of the new .NET framework right the new .NET framework that comes with Roslyn that it's going to run in the new visual studio and you're going to be able to make that web forms application work but you're not going to be able to get it into the new cloud-optimized stuff. Right. There's a line that's been drawn in the sand that says, you know what, that system web DLL, it's, it's too big, it's too heavy, it's too complex for us to bring it into this, this slimmer, thinner world where we want to try and push the latest technologies, we want to push the latest capabilities on the web. We're, we're going to still provide some of those things back to web forms, but we need to make sure that this very aggressive new framework that's very opinionated, to be honest, that it's it isn't burdened by what's in web forms. So, so you say that web forms isn't in vNext? It's in vNext, but it's not in the cloud optimized 
framework that's going to okay, be delivered. so it's not like they're going to break out when like i'm thinking is our goal here to get system web out of our lives and does that mean giving up web forms and going to a lighter weight one or is that you know getting out of web forms entirely so great question they do want to get system web as far out of this as possible because it's so big and heavy right when yeah. you look at that dll on your machine it's a good 14 15 it's a beast it's big so if you're not doing web forms, you shouldn't be burdened by that. So that's what one of the goals that they have here is let's not include that if we don't need that. So things that are in there like HTTP context, those things are going to be moved over and are going to live in this new framework, in this new cloud optimized well, it, it's going to be in both frameworks, but you're going to be able to get it in the cloud optimized slimmer framework as well. But Web forms will continue to live on and they're going to continue to support it with the rest of the standard base class library that you'll see come out and is available on everybody's desktops. This is about really giving a server optimized framework that's available and targeted to the server that doesn't impact the server when you're trying to run your application. And it's an interesting goal. I mean, if you talk about a long lived web project and I don't want to, I said burden and I was being unfair there. But, you know, there's a goal. I want to be free of system.web. And it's so much that, like, caching's in there, but caching's elsewhere, too. Like, there's lots of things that are in there that are also elsewhere. It's, it's narrowing down. So what's the piece in system.web that's nowhere else? Is it just web forms? Is that the thing you've got to put away to be system web free? No, there's there's other things in there that are going to be, I don't want to say going away, but that are going to be migrating, that are going to be changing. Um, the whole concept of handlers and modules are going to be changing. We haven't quite seen where that's going to land yet. But those types of things that we saw on the original ASP.NET, yeah, some of those concepts aren't going to make it into the new optimized world. However, they're not they're not going away. They're still going to be there on the, the desktop optimized one. You can still deliver it to your web servers and you can still continue to run with it. And you can run it in Azure. You're not saying it won't oh, yeah. run in Azure. Absolutely. You're just saying this, this new cloud optimized platform, these are the things we're leaving behind. Right. I'm just, and I'm trying to judge for what it's going to cost, the effort it's going to take. Is this worthwhile or do you declare it legacy and you don't bother? You'll build new rather than migrate up. Yeah, no, you would build new instead of migrating off. You think so? Oh, yeah. This the 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 breakpoint here really what they're trying to do and it kind of harkens back to some of what uh what the commenter said at the beginning. What they're trying to do is make sure that you fall into the pit of success with this. Right. They want instead of instead of when you use session in ASP.net, when you do a file new project, right? You yep. start off with that in memory session. Yep. And and we know that's just not going to work on Azure. Nope, it's evil. Right. So what do you do? All right, you start to recode your application so that it works with something that works out of memory, whether it's SQL Server or State Server or something else. So well, the SQL Server you're definitely out of memory, but I mean out of process. <laughs> yes, yes, you're you uh -huh. run out of memory in SQL Server. <laughs> the correct amount of memory for SQL Server is more. Yes, <laughs> always. That's that's why they have that slide bar in the Azure console for SQL Server. Yes, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Um, raise it and, high, raise it real high, even yeah. further. So today's Monday must add more memory to SQL Server. It's nice. Memory Monday. Yeah, there you go. Um, and honestly, if you are having a problem with with pressure, uh, processor pressure, memory pressure on a web forms web server, and you're running on Azure, why not just push the slider? 
right? Well, and, and, and this is when I, I'm totally with you. But when we were talking about the oneasp.net a year or so ago, one of the things we we're talking about was creating this sort of seamless migration that you oh, yeah. can build MVC pages besides your web form pages. And you could, over time, migrate off of web forms that ever <laughs> doing a dead drop. It's just one page after another, one chunk of your app at a time moving over to this new model until one day you have no web forms left. Right. And and really, people want to move even further into, into the spa-like model, right? They want to they want to, all right, I'm going to coin a uh, phrase here. They want to spa-ify their web application. Awesome. Right? Yeah. They, they, they want to push the JavaScript down onto, and, and the logic down onto the user, the user's browser, whether it's, uh, uh, gosh, their, their Lumia phone, their iPhone, their Android, and run it there. I mean, how many of us have copies of jQuery floating around in the memory of our mobile devices just because we've browsed somewhere that has it, right? So let's take advantage of that and make our web services thinner and thinner. That means we're going to increase the scalability of our web applications. And then all those Azure problems become really interesting because really the work on my web application is taking place on the browser and not on the server, putting together angle brackets and curly braces. Yeah, and I guess that's the fundamental piece when you talk about web forms versus MVC is where are you rendering your page? You know, you want your pages rendered on your browser, but that's still a pretty hefty hurdle to jump over. Oh, sure, sure. So what's the story? How do we get there, right? Does does Angular help us out with that? Do do the new web components models that we're seeing from HTML, HTML5, do those help us deliver that type of thing? I, I don't know about you, but I don't want that much JavaScript running in the browser just to build up UI. Yeah. I, I, I think that's that's almost detrimental to the experience. And when you talk about someone who has an older device, I mean, I, I think about my parents when I think about mobile devices, right? My, my mother carries an iPhone 4 and the device is what? Three years old, four years old. That's Older not, device. That nice. that's not old, is it? I mean, the, let's face it. the The people who are listening to this podcast probably have some of the more modern versions of mobile devices, right? And they're going to be capable of running the JavaScript that we deliver really fast, right? Sure. Whether it's a, a 900 series uh, Nokia device, an iPhone five something, um, Samsung Galaxy four or five. Right, those things are going to scream. The majority of people out there don't get these latest devices until they're right there on the the bargain basement bin, and you can get it for free when you sign up for a two year contract. Right at your wireless provider. Okay, so let's make sure we're optimized for that majority of people. Right? Yeah, we'll be able to take advantage of it. The us the the technical advance that are really in there and love our devices. But as web developers, we need to hit the broadest audience possible. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a case to be made either way there, but the, uh, the overhead of web forms, well, it always, you know, I go all the way back to Nick's comment there, internal apps with a little more weight where you're not having to travel over the interwebs, just not that big a deal. Jeff, yeah. what happens to any existing apps that I might have? Is there any reason why I should bring these forward into this new vNext, or should I just leave them alone? Well, if you, if you want the portability, whether it's between hosts, whether it's between operating system, um, 
then you might want to opt into it, right? But realistically, if you don't need that portability, if you don't need the bleeding edge stuff, right, the the modularity, mm. if you don't need those things, there's no reason to really upgrade. Stay where you are. Right. Yeah. But for the speed that you'll get as a developer for being able to run on on Linux and Mac, go for it. There's yeah. there's some really neat stuff in there. And the things that they have going for the services with Web API and SignalR are going to be very compelling for us as developers to say, you know what, let's get over there so we can take advantage of this unified model and be able to build things that that take advantage of those and deliver a spa type of experience that is just phenomenal for my end users. So it sounds like like you're saying, if you've got something that works and it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if you're doing new development anyway, um, this is going to be the way it's done. Yeah. If you're going to find it it's simple. Yeah. They, right. These are the same people that, that we would talk to and say, well, you know what? If Windows XP is working for you, don't upgrade. But now support's cut off. Well, okay, now it's time to upgrade. Support isn't cut off in this case. Yeah, yeah. You're fine to stay where you are. Okay. Now, let me throw my cynical hat on here because if we were looking at this list of changes for the next version of ASP.NET, irrespective of the .NET Foundation, all these other things, I think we'd be a little freaked out that Microsoft was doing this. It's like, you're leaving us behind. You're you're breaking the model. You know, what are you doing? And somehow putting it into the open source world and having the community director involved is going to make that more acceptable. No, I don't. I don't think they're breaking it as much as as much as you might be led to believe. Um, there is going to be a migration path. There, there are going to be ways for us to migrate our code there. Um, I, I think it is acceptable because of how they're improving the developer experience, how they're pulling things out of the base class library so that it can be delivered via NuGet, and you're going to get a a significantly better experience as a developer getting the latest bits as soon as they're released, as soon as they're signed off on as production ready from Microsoft. Um, security fixes are going to be able to be fixed zero day. You're not going to have to wait for them because as soon as they're they're fixed, Microsoft publishes them to NuGet, you do a rebuild, and everybody's happy. So I think there's some significant advantages there for us as developers and for for operations to be able to say, you know what? Yeah, there's some pretty good reasons there. To I'm going to attack you a bit on the security side of thing. On a zero-day event, it means I have to recompile all of my apps to get the correct version of the DLL for each one of them, as no. opposed to when security was responsibility of the system operator who would just update the base DLLs that everybody shared. So here's where the, the new environment starts to really shine. So they're taking advantage of the Roslyn compiler. And inside your project JSON file are references to which DLLs, which pieces of the library you're using. So instead of just saying, you know what, I want version 5.0 of MVC, you can say, give me version 5.star. And whatever the latest version is, the next time that Roslyn recompiles, it'll grab that latest version from NuGet and put it down for you. So we might get into a scenario here where, you know what, you just restart IIS it brings down that new version from NuGet and you're off and running. We're still presuming, you know, again, I'm putting my IT hat on. You're updating my apps without talking to me first, without going through the full testing channel? 
Uh, so there's there's where we're going to have to figure out where the trust is, right? How much do you trust them not to break the API that you're dependent on, the SDK right. that you're using? Absolutely. There's a trust cycle there that you're going to need to figure out. You may want to do that first in your QA environment to make sure – your QA, your stage environment to make sure that nothing significant broke. But you should feel pretty confident after seeing a couple of these come out and reading through release notes properly that you're ready to go and say, yeah, go ahead, take the new version. Well, and so I'm – and I'm looking at what just happened with Heartbleed. Right? Oh. I mean this was an open source library with a line missing of the code and all of these apps – including stuff that was installed on firewalls and things needed to be updated, deployed and restarted. Like, Oh yeah. It's not trivial. I and mean, it gives agility to the individual, but it encumbers an industry to be responsible across the board. Oh, sure. Right. You know, We've always got to be responsible. The, the stuff life was easier being... when Microsoft was owning that. When the when the only guy who needed to know anything about what was going on with security was your IT guy who ran IIS. Now the devs need to know. Sure, sure. To a certain point, the devs do do need to know, and all that Microsoft is trying to do here is streamline that process to make it easier for us to say, "Oh, yeah, there is a security patch here that we need to we need to test and roll out." And it, testing and rolling out to production is something that I never took trivially. I mean, I know there's organizations that roll out to their production websites multiple times a day. I, I, I don't have the heart for that. I, I feel, you know, okay, you want to roll out once a week, great. But I'm, I am a, a nut for wanting to be able to smoke test and make sure that things are proper before they get to production. I, well, I'm with you, you on that. that. You just have to have a testing infrastructure that's that fast. Absolutely. Or be able to take however many systems in production down, upgrade those, and, and test them while you – upgrade the other half and have, or have your have your farm running in different states so that everybody can still be going while the patch is happening. Yeah. Now it's it's an interesting new world and not a trivial thing. Like this is sort of forcing us to be all in with this rapid deployment and package model so that you can you can roll the security into it as well. And it gives you for the those who are going to embrace this, you will be more agile. You will be more agile, but you can leave your your project files. You can you can leave the way you have the the framework set up, targeted to specific versions, so that you don't accept those changes when they're released. If you right. want to stay, you know what? I just want MVC five, then it'll run with just MVC five or six or seven, whatever version we decide to number it. Which is a fine plan until they find a major exploit in MVC five. Absolutely. Now who's you, being cynical? <laughs> well, you know, this is what happens, right? I'm is totally kidding. The, the same thing happened with Heartbleed. The version of Heartbleed that had the violation in it, three versions old. Yeah. yeah. Right? If you were running the latest bits, it didn't have this problem. So now you know, that's where, where this gets spooky is the decision you have to make. So MVC5, and I'm not going to pick on those guys. They're fine. Get They find some buffer flow that has a potential vulnerability. But the current version is MVC7. Do you patch five or just tell everybody to upgrade? Right. Uh, and depends on what the what the patch is that's required. Right. Is that something that we can deploy with NuGet that's targeted specifically at that version? Right. Because yeah. the NuGet packages have version numbers on them and you can opt into specific version numbers. 
And given that six and seven don't have the vulnerability, it means there's probably significant change that happened in six, total speculation on my part, mm-hmm. that would mean for you to use the excuse, just move to six means significantly change your app. We, you know, now you really want to be able to patch five so that your app can keep working and be safe while you contemplate significant changes. Yeah, it's an interesting world that we're going to be in. Yeah, these are not new battles, right? No. I've spent enough time as an administrator dealing with older systems that pay, that vulnerabilities were found in later, and then you needed to do a fix to that app without a migration or an upgrade. And that was really hard to do. Yeah, migrations and upgrades shouldn't be as hard as they are, especially in in the world with an with an Azure ecosystem out there where I can I can click a button and stand up an exact copy of what server I have out there. I should be able to do that, upgrade that server, and then be able to repoint my service immediately to that other one when I'm happy with how it works. And then I'm off and running again. Yeah, it's, the challenge here is going to be getting that agility into the guy who started building this app in 1.1. Yeah, and like I said, they may not need to be. Stay where you are. Everything's fine there. Enjoy the Rosalind compiler. Enjoy some of the new features of, of C-sharp. I think it's 5 is the version that's coming out. Well, and yeah. Rosalind you, should be 6. 6, that's it, yes. It's not out yet, but, you know, when it's out, that should be, you know, then it is C-sharp. And that's 6. I think it's all good. I, I'm, I'm buying in to the, you know, get the latest and greatest all the time. And uh, as for me, I do trust that Microsoft will continue to publish quality software. Absolutely. It's it's in their best interest to continue to do that, but it's not it's not out of the realm to say that there will be an exploit at some point at sure. some time. But if there is an exploit, they're in the best position to to get it fixed Absolutely. if it's up to date. If it's not up to date and you have an exploit, you know, good luck. Mhm. It's the same thing with Windows updates, right? If you've oh, got yeah. the latest patches, it's one patch fix. But if you're, you know, you've got a different OS and an old, old this and all that, you've got a lot of stuff to upgrade to get the fix. I, I was at the at the movie theater a few weeks ago watching. Um, I forget what movie I went and saw, but at the end the film ended, and the it's a digital projector and it comes up and I see active uh, active desktop. Uh, does not show any content here. They're running Windows 98 mm. in the movie theater on the projector. Good and Lord. You can tell us you were watching Frozen. It's okay, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry. My daughters drug me out there. I had to go do the sing-along thing. I'm so sorry. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, I apologize. Well, yeah, you talk about the on all the ATMs that are running XP. Like, yeah, there's legacy stuff everywhere, dude. Oh, yeah. So where do you want to take the risk? It, yeah. At some point, it's going to cost you. And one of the strengths of the whole cloud thing here is we have a lot more control over the code base. So upgrading is easier, without a doubt. Right. Do you know what version of Windows you're running when you deploy to Azure? Do you Do care? Not care? You don't care. Yeah. That so doesn't matter. That's, that's the mentality that I think we need to start to get to is it's all just a commodity computing resource. And what's important is that I'm deploying my application and I'm choosing just the things that I need to make it run so well Jeff I think that's about a show it's been great talking it's always great talking to you and I always learn something oh thanks a lot guys I I appreciate it I'm 
I've always uh, enjoyed being on the show here and catching up with you guys at conferences. You bet. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a